The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. It's good to be back with you again this month. Well, it's been a cool winter in uh, in Texas, a little colder than we are normally accustomed to. And, of course, uh, many in the uh, United States have been experiencing unusual cold. But in the midst of the cold, there there's a warmth growing in the hearts of uh, a remnant of of the church, a remnant of God's people. And uh, it is to that that I want to speak today and this month, in fact, for the next two or three months, uh, the Lord willing. Before I get into it, however, though, I, I do want to uh, to tell you about the uh, what we're promoting for you to get a hold of this month, and it is the series that I did some time back on the book of Hebrews. Uh, several I've read where several theologians have said that every generation must grapple with a generation of Christians or those who would consider the Bible seriously. They must grapple with how does the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. A misunderstanding of that can lead to all kinds of mis- misrepresentations of God and of his purposes. The book of Hebrews is probably, of the, all the New Testament books, is probably the best explanation of how the continuation of God's revelation from first to last all the way through Old Testament, New Testament works. And so uh, I want to encourage you to get a hold of that. Uh, that set, listen to it, digest it, uh, play it with your friends, your family, Sunday school classes or whatever. It's called From Shadows to Substance, and I believe it will be a, a great benefit to you. I think you'll enjoy it greatly. So there's that. The other thing is we have revamped our uh, website recently. David has done a fabulous job of getting that in, in order. I think you'll enjoy the visit. We've had a website for quite a while, but sometimes it's complicated to get around in. And uh, this one is much easier. And there's several things you'll note in there. One is upcoming. There's a uh, Beyond Happiness Marriage Retreat uh, that I recommend to you. This is a marriage retreat where we apply the gospel to marriage. And it's more than just learning some techniques of communication, as well, as good as all those are, and uh, you know how to do problem solving and whatever. It actually is a a big view of what marriage is and, and and what the possibilities are when people learn to live out the gospel in their homes. So go on the website, call the office, that uh, consider being a part of that. The other thing is the uh, Texas Wildman is coming up in May, and that's always a fun time. But you need to go ahead and get it on your calendar. This is for men and boys. And it's a lot of wonderful competition, silly competition, fun times, lots of storytelling, lots of good singing, and uh, of course the gospel is in the middle of the whole thing. You'll learn some great things like fly fishing, shotgunning, archery, as well as pickle spitting, knife throwing, and the Texas hog toss. Go on the website, look it up. There's a there's a little video on there that you could uh, go to and. Say a little bit about what it's about, and you, uh, I think you'll want to come and bring a friend with you. I want to thank those of you who uh, take seriously your investment in Kerygma Ventures and our work 
your work is very vital to uh, your participation is vital to what we do and and you're vital and so thank you for your financial investments in us as well as your prayers and would ask you to continue to do that i believe this is going to be a, a, a an impactful year and i think you'll see why i believe that as we uh, as we talk some okay i i plan to do a series of 3 on the uh on the topic of the cry of the remnant and i'll do one today and two more un- unless something better comes along God has always worked through a remnant. Since he started dealing with his people, he he deals with a remnant. He picked Noah as a remnant. The children of Israel, uh, a remnant, got to come back out of exile. Uh, The big remnant that everything was looking forward to in the Old Testament, however, is fulfilled in Christ. But but God works uh, through a remnant to touch the whole, just like he he used the metaphor of the, uh, the leaven that works in the lump of dough. There's a remnant of the of the church, the, the visible church. There's a remnant inside it that's crying out right now. They they are, we are sick and tired of a a watered down, mixed, uh, non powerful, non impacting type of religious experience. We're we're uh, we're intrigued by reading the New Testament and discovering that those who followed Jesus lived adventurous lives, even to rejoicing in their martyrdom. Uh, but they impacted the world and they glorified the Lord. Uh, you, you can't help but get motivated when you read the book of Revelation and you see that in the revelation of Christ, the way things are is when Christ is in his exalted state, that the saints are the saints that followed him on the earth are uh, have no regret that they gave everything to him, for him, with him, and that they embraced his mission fully. So there's a there's a cry going out am- among some. It's it, it's not it's not a large number yet, but there's a cry going out, coming out of the Christendom that's grown up around religious christian values biblical language etc but but it's not really the the essence of new testament christianity and that cry is we want the real thing and uh, just like in the days of the reformation those who were crying out against the abuses of the visible church at that time they there were several statements that they made that became the core of their cry one of them was uh, n- no authority but scripture no no way but nothing but faith uh, nothing but grace nothing but but glory and, and so the the cry that i hear today similar to those cries would would be these no cause before christ no cure outside the cross and no community outside the church I want to talk today, this month, with you about that first one, no cause before Christ. Uh, we live in a day when we rec- recognize things are are wrong. It doesn't take a genius to figure that out. The truth is we were designed by God to rule in this earth, on this earth. Even after the fall, we seek to bring things under control. We seek to manage things and 
which seek to find a way to solve the problems, the dilemma of, of humankind. Uh, absent our submission to God, mankind has proposed various ways to manage society. Feudalism was one. Socialism is one. Communism is one. Marxism is one. Social democracy is one. And, and there there have been others. There will be others as mankind tries to figure out a way in his fallen state to, to manage what's going on, the problem, uh, to deal with it. There are lots of causes that vie for our attention. There there are political causes, there are social causes, there are humanitarian causes, there are causes of poverty or racism or, or injustice or, or any of those things. Call man and, and, and capture him for, for a cause. And when we yield to that need to rule, that need to fix, that need to solve, that need to save, uh, when we... When we get involved in that, we can often miss the call that's really coming, and the call is really coming is from God himself, and it is a call to to know and follow Christ, of course. Now, why, why is Christ the major cause? Why is there no cause before him? We, we acknowledge there can be many causes as a fruit of, of knowing and making him known, but any cause that's put ahead of him will eventually fail. Well, he alone is the purpose of creation. That's that's one reason that he is the he 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 goes before everything else. That's one reason he is preeminent. Uh, let me read you a text out of Colossians. It might be. Uh, Helpful here, the whole book actually, but I'm not going to take time to read it. Uh, let me just read you just a, a snippet here. Chapter 2 For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him, and if he is the mystery explained, the mystery of history, if all of that is true, and since all of that is true, then there cannot be any other cause greater than knowing him and fulfilling his mission. You see, in the beginning, God's move, God's love moved him to create the earth, all of us that are in it, everything about it, create creation. Moved him to create in order to display the, the vast glory of his son. You, you've heard me talk about this before, if you've listened, that God didn't create because he had a need he created out of the overflow of his love. He wanted to have a creation that could display the majesty and glory of his son so that other people, there would be other creatures that could know and love the son as much as God the Father did. And so he created everything to display the glory of Christ. 
the uh, the father delights in the son. He, the, the father sent the son as a solution to man's uh, to all of humanity's problem. The Holy Spirit uh, lives to exegete the son. He he takes who the son is and what the son has done and and makes it real to us in our spirit. Some some would wonder why I I keep harping on how Jesus is the subject of all scripture and all scriptures are fulfilled in him. Well, think of it in this light. If the Holy Spirit is one who inspired the scripture and the Holy Spirit's greatest delight is to exegete the son, that is to explain him, to apply him, to make his work and his personality known to us so that we cry, Abba, Father, the way he does. If the Holy Spirit's main goal in his own existence his own life is to glorify the son then and he inspired the scriptures then obviously the scriptures are going to be about the son so 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 jesus alone is the purpose of creation it, it, uh, all the other explanations of the purpose of creation fall far short they they don't they don't even come close the other thing is that i, I mentioned it all other causes are secondary to knowing him and making him known. Yes, there are other causes. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want you to catch this. Everything is done in the life of a Christian. Everything is to be done, should be done in everyone's life. Everything is done in order to reap the harvest of the eternal seed that was sown in the earth when Jesus was crucified. I'm, I'm going to say that again because I want you to get it. Everything is to be done to reap the harvest of the eternal seed that was sown into the earth at Jesus' crucifixion. We do what we do as believers, not just because other people need it. That would be need conscious. That we may be making need the cause. We do what we do not because we need to do it. That makes us the source and the reason. We do what we do because Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the one who has done everything for us, deserves for the harvest that's due his sowing to be reaped. Everything that he bought and paid for with the shedding of his blood, everything that he redeemed needs to be redeemed. It needs, it, it needs to be applied, and that is our privilege and our responsibility. So everything we do must have as its first cause that this is to glorify Jesus. And glorifying him means we are... We're taking out to full ramifications all that he has done. We, we are applying and embracing what has happened in his own life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Th think of this. There's no reason for us to do anything else because he has given us the message that corrects all deception. He's given us the authority over all principalities and powers because he sent us and he has already he already has authority in heaven and earth and he has in, in 
empowered us with the same spirit that raised Jesus' dead body from the grave. Do you know what the nature of that spirit is? That powerful spirit's nature is love. It's a kind of love that the world knows nothing of. It's a kind of, the wor- a kind of love that once it touches something, it changes something. It's a kind of love that cannot be destroyed and it never fails. So, so think about it. As a Christian, as a real Christian, we already have been given the message. Go out, he said, and tell the story of the gospel. Go out and tell how Jesus fulfilled everything that was prophesied, promised, predicted of him through uh, in all previous history. Tell how he came as God's son, fulfilling the role of Adam and Israel, and how he lived on earth a righteous life, fulfilling the requirements of mankind, Adam, how he died a sacrificial death to satisfy justice, how he was raised from the dead according according to the scriptures and by the power of the Spirit, how he ascended to the right hand of the Father to sit in the place of authority over God's kingdom on earth, and how he, as a result of that, sent the Holy Spirit to indwell, regenerate, lead, guide, direct, illuminate, those who would receive him. And that we have now been sent with the authority to go and establish his rule in the earth, his rule of love. Now, can you think of a, I mean, what cause compares with that? Why would would anyone get caught up with something lesser? Now, once we, once we have embraced him and we've embraced that cause as the greatest thing, then other causes emanate out of it. But in order for them to be empowered by a love that doesn't fail, it has to, they have to emanate out of it. You see, causes that, that are, are basically anger-driven can can make a big splash and they can create a lot of stir and they can get a lot of followers because there are really lots of angry people. And if you can enunciate what's making people angry and you can uh, tap into that, you can, you can get a, it's a heck, heck of a motivation. But anger, the anger of man doesn't work the righteousness of God and it will not sustain it. It'll wear you out. It, it'll, it'll ultimately disappoint you, disillusion you. It, it will that will use you and leave you lifeless lying on the sidewalk. Greed is another motivation for, for causes. Uh, control. They don't, they don't work either because once uh, greed gets its hand on all it can get its hand on, it realizes it can never be satisfied and it, and it eats itself up, consumes itself. There, there is no... There is no motivation that will last, that's guaranteed success, except the cause of Christ. And that's because it is, he is empowered, he empowers us with love, and love never fails. Now, I know that injustice bothers us. It should, because we were made in the image of God, and, and, uh, and, and God is just. But real justice, real justice, 
is not determined by some civil structure somewhere that determines just its laws, but real justice could be uh, actually described in three words, uh, worship, fellowship, and stewardship. Uh, real justice is treating God as sovereign, worshiping him. It's treating mankind with dignity, so it's fellowshipping with him. And it's treating the earth as a stewardship, and so it's managing that. And real justice deals with all of those three areas. But real justice will never be understood and will never be accomplished in the earth until we, until we tell the story of how justice works. And, and the, real, the real story of justice is this, is that God is holy, and that because he is holy, he cannot tolerate evil. If he could tolerate evil, he wouldn't be holy. Uh, who, who would want to know a God who values evil on the same level as he values good or our love. Well, of course not. So, so God's very nature is, is wrathful toward, toward evil and evil has to be punished, has to be eliminated. It, it has to be destroyed. So what did God do uh, in order to, to save us? Because we were born in enmity against God in, uh, since we are of Adam's race and since we, are, we have all rebelled in our heart toward, against God, we've all gone astray. No, nobody was seeking to honor God. We were seeking to survive and make it ourselves. And because we've been rebels in our heart and because we've been selfish and, and all of that, then real justice means that the evil in our heart has to be, has to be taken care of. So what did God do? To be just and the justifier, God sent his son as a man, just like us, who lived a righteous life, but who took our place, and the judge's gavel came down, and the sentence of our guilt and condemnation came upon him, and he experienced the wrath that you and I deserve, and declared in instead that we are justified, that we are cleared, that the case has been settled, that we are we are as righteous as Christ because he became sin for us, and therefore justice was done. Now until that level of justice is adopted and proclaimed and, and whatever We'll never get rid of the ills of society, of racism and hatred and poverty and suppression, because all of that, all of that ill comes from, comes from the, uh, the kingdom of darkness. It comes from Satan. But the, the truth is that on the cross, Jesus defeated the powers of hell, and Satan was made an open show of publicly. He faced both the civil authority of Rome and the religious authority of the Jews of that day. He made a mocking show of them as their ignorance was revealed and their, the spirit that was behind them was absolutely defeated. So when we go forth in a cause for Christ, we don't just go forth as the Lone Ranger did or... <laughs> 
what the good guys used to in the Westerns. No, we don't just go forth with right on our side. We go forth with the power of the cross resurrection on our side. We, we go out with a message that destroys deception with an authority having been sent by Jesus himself that's above all principalities and powers and every name that's named and every kingdom and every government and every ideology uh, that's out there. And we go knowing that our Lord who empowers us and who goes with us has defeated the enemy and that we can enforce that defeat as we proclaim and declare that defeat where we go. So why, why would we want to do something less? Why, why would we want to take another cause? Uh, there's another reason that the cause of Christ is, is preeminent, and that is that no other cause satisfies our need for purpose. Because nothing else connects us to God's purpose, which is to consummate everything in Christ. Uh, no matter what we do, whether we fight for the rights of the oppressed, are we fighting for uh, corrected injustice in some place, or for some political ideology or some policy or whatever, whatever we're fighting for, if it is not emanating out of our commitment to fulfilling the purpose of Christ, of glorifying his name, of redeeming what he wants redeemed. If it's not coming from that, it will not connect you to God, and therefore it will not satisfy. Because we were created by God to be satisfied in his purposes, not in anything less. And so it, it, it will leave us lifeless, and it will leave us disappointed and disillusioned. There's no other cause that's worth our life. I mean, as, as much as we would like to be willing to lay down our life for a, a cause, and, and many are, but I can tell you this, don't lay down your cause for, uh, don't lay down your life for a cause less than obedience to identification with fulfillment of Jesus' mission. We can get all bothered about our concern for the, for the unreached and the concern for the, the lost I remember listening to a missionary one time talk about how he gave his life to go tell the gospel to the lost because he realized he should love the lost. And so he went. And uh, after a little while, he was disillusioned and ready to come home. He was whipped. And he said, what I learned was these were not just innocent victims over here, innocent victims of darkness, who needed some benevolent person like me to come and deliver them from their underprivileged condition, but they were rebels against God and they did not want to know him and would not be changed apart from God's intervening electing power that would change them by his gospel. You see, it's not enough just to love the lost. It's not enough to love the, the, the unreached. It's not enough to, to love the underprivileged. It's not enough to love the impoverished. It's not enough to be motivated out of our human compassion for mankind's plight. It's not enough. You, you don't have enough love. You don't have enough faith. You, you don't have enough energy. You don't have enough. You will finally fall on your knees in despair and wonder why, why you ever put there. 
it's not enough to build good big big churches as as you know wonderful as that might seem. It's not enough to build cathedrals. It's not enough to build schools or hospitals. It's not enough unless all of these are coming out of that overall commitment on our part, that overall recognition that I am in Christ and that he is my glory and he is my life and I delight in him as the Father delights in him. And his death on the cross bought and paid for that which the curse had affected. And because of my love, of being loved by him and my love for him and my delight in him, I am being obedient in redeeming these specific areas by applying the gospel to it. But remember that last little phrase. None of these areas, none of these injustices, none of these dilemmas can be fixed apart from the gospel. If they could have, then God was cruel to have sent Jesus, the eternal son, to live in limitation and to die a substitutionary death. It would have been cruel of God if mankind's plight could be solved in any other way. And of course, it couldn't. It was God's love that caused him to send his son. And when his love gets a hold of us, it'll be that love that causes us to want to exalt the son, to delight in the son, to find no delight higher than in the son, and to find no cause greater than fulfilling his mission. But what a mission it is. My, my, to think that we have been privileged by God to live on this earth as his representatives, much like Adam in the original creation, Adam and Eve, to be God's representatives there in that garden. You and I now on this side of the cross and the resurrection have the privilege of being his representatives here. What are we to do? Well, we have a message that we're to tell. We have authority that we are to exert. And we have power that we are to live by. And wherever there is something redeemable, we are to redeem it. Realizing that Jesus bought and paid for the right, or bought and paid for the breaking of the curse and the application of blessing. And so as we go in his name, in his mission, Yes, we affect our culture. We affect politics. We affect education. We affect agriculture. We affect science. We affect every aspect of life because we are Christ-saturated. And then there's one final thing. Why is there no cause greater or before Christ? Because no other cause can answer on Judgment Day. I don't know what Judgment Day is going to be like. I'm looking forward to it because the judgment that I feared has already been taken care of. But I know this will be the issue. The issue on Judgment Day will not be, have I done more righteous deeds than sins? That won't be the issue. The issue not was, was my intentions always good? Were my intentions always good? They weren't. Uh, the issue will not be how many good things have I done with the stuff that I had in my hand. That, uh, that's important, but 
that won't be the real issue. The real issue is that all of mankind will be judged on the plumb line of what they did with Christ. Since he is the delight of God, since he is the solution to mankind's problem, those who do not receive him have turned down the only solution there is. Those who do are accepted in him and are recognized by God on the same level that he is. They're seen as sons also. In fact, he treats them as in Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to them. The inheritance that he that he deserves of being the Son of Man and the Son of God, we get. But that's the issue. And so no no other answer will suffice on the day of judgment when when we are asked about it. No other cause can answer on judgment day when when God says, What'd you do with my son? Now there will be many who like to say, Well, I, I received him as my Lord and Savior and he gave me a ticket to heaven and all of that, but you know, then I kind of got busy in trying to, uh, you know, build build some. I, I tried to, you know, I tried to do some good things. Uh, we will recognize in that day that everything that that's really good is that which we did in order to ultimately exalt Christ, to to know Him, discover all the riches that are in Him, and to make Him known. It really is not the kind of love that God has when we try to help people, but we keep from them the ultimate riches. We can get them out of poverty, maybe. Surely we can give them a piece of bread, we can give them clothes, we can give them homes. And we may even teach them how to manage their lives to escape perpetual poverty. But you know what? If we don't give them the riches, the full riches of Christ. What what did that verse say that we read? In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we don't give them that, we haven't really loved them the way God sent us to love them. We haven't loved them the way he loved us. And so we cannot afford to adopt causes that are not emanating from the ultimate cause to know Christ, to make him known, to glorify him, to exalt in him, and then see where that leads us. So one of the cries that's coming out of the heart of the remnant of the, of the people of God is no cause but Christ. Don't give me principles. Don't 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 just give me laws. Don't give me rules. Don't 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 give me techniques. Don't don't give me things that I could get out of self improvement books. Don't 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 give me motivational speeches. Don't give me entertainment. Don't don't tickle my ears with cultural treasures. Give me something that satisfies down at the root of my being. Give me something that connects me with eternity. Give me something that's transcendent. Give me something that brings delight in my soul now and will bring delight in my soul forever. I want something beyond what contemporary Christianity has been offering. I want the real thing. 
And as we cry, no cause but Christ, we will find that he will answer that cry. Next time we'll talk about no cure but the cross. Father, I thank you for your I thank you for your exalting Christ to us. I thank you that you sent your son because you delighted so in him. I thank you that that in him you loved us. You demonstrated what love is. I thank you that in him you you sought us and bought us and uh, you you consider us your sons because we are in him. I thank you that today in heaven, all of heaven delights in the exalted Son. Uh, nobody is interested in doing anything that would be greater than exalting the Son, Jesus the Christ. And so I thank you that you're calling us to do that, and that in calling us to do that, you're, you're loving us and giving us great privilege. And so would you let this message fall on receptive hearts, I pray. Let people hear a whole lot more than this feeble attempt to try to explain it could go. Let people hear the word of God fully known. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.